0: Hey, listeners, Evan here with Rob for the Concordia Training Podcast, where we chat about what we've learned the hard way in fitness and wellness so you don't have to. Today, Rob and I talk about the roles golden standards for athletic success have played in our own lives as a tool of motivation identification of relative weaknesses, and as a means of dubiously healthy comparisons to others, touching on the competitive nature that compels this kind of measurement. Please enjoy.
1: All right, we rolling.
0: Rob, you want to talk about gold standards testing and, and why it's good to try and set your goals near the range of gold standards? No. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, we should talk about that, probably. see what we agree to talk about. Why should you... Okay. Yeah. Gold standards are annoying, or they're cool if you're good at something. And that's pretty much all I have right off the bat, because being good at a couple of things makes gold standards seem really, really attainable, and the things you're not so good at makes them pretty frustrating, in my own personal opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I got, right off the bat, do you know the site symmetricstrength.com?
1: I do, I like the color coordination.
0: Yeah, I was uh, paying a lot of attention to that site as I was going through my beginner gains phase of strength training. At least say it
1: one, one more time for the, all the people in the back row?
0: <laughs> could you not hear me?
1: I, I mean, I could, I'm just saying the people in the back row, could you say it one more time?
0: I was going on symmetric strength all the time, uh, during the beginner gains phase of my strength training. And it was not so good. I, I, I really relished looking at my ahead of the curve deadlift and I had existential breakdowns around how bad my squat was (laughs) comparatively. Like it was in the, it was kind of like acceptable. It's not a poverty squat by any measure, but, uh, I mean, I, I'm curious where these, you, you were going to ask like where these gold standards are even coming from right? and like why are they, like if someone squats the same as they deadlift, why isn't that the gold standard versus I think it's about 80% or 90% of your deadlift is where you squat typically?
1: Yeah, 85% is considered a healthy ratio. But even that, like a golden standard or like a gold standard would be more like what is the number to aspire to? um rather than like what is a healthy number to have so both those things are important but like if we're talking gold standards there's a huge huge list of them um for example actually
0: i was i was talking just strictly about like so there's there's the gold standard of how your lists relate to each other right are you in proportion symmetric strength like the symmetric part of it then there's gold standards you're talking about probably like how close to matt
1: froning are you in your crossfit times i love matt froning i love when you say that it makes me so happy <laughs> it's rich froning it makes me so happy <laughs> <laughs> it's rich, rich froning and matt fraser what yeah you it got it now uh, you got it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it i need a matt froning it's t-shirt um the
0: crossfit golem i don't know <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um yeah so there's like healthy ratios that you want to have like um of your back squat should be your front squat. You should have your deadlift at like 120% of your back squat. You should be able to strict press with 70%, the same number of strict pull-ups that you can do um, like repetition wise. There's a bunch of those and those are helpful if things are way out of whack. Um, But you probably won't even know those things until you start knowing like what you're going to go after, like what kind of level you're at, as you mentioned from, um symmetric strength like a gold standard for a deadlift is relative to your sport but a good one to have is like a 2x bodyweight deadlift if you have a 2x bodyweight deadlift like you're in a good spot
0: i think that puts you in like the advanced category at least for most of the symmetric strength because they do it by weight
1: yeah i would say that a 2x is going to get you to where you need to be, unless you want to be like a very, very good powerlifter, then obviously that's not enough. But um, when we're talking about pretty much every other discipline, 2x body deadlift is more than fine. And then you talk about things like body weight strict press and being able to do 15 to 20 strict pull ups and being able to do like 50 to 75 push ups things like that, Um, things that everybody has access to. Uh, Other ones that people are probably more like accustomed to would be like the sub-6 mile, um, the sub-25K, the sub-45, 10K, sub-7, 2K row, things like that.
0: Yeah.
1: So why are they important? Um, If you don't know where to aim for, you might not realize how far off something is, or where a deficit you might have is, right? So as you alluded to, if you hadn't had the color-coded anatomical figure to tell you that while your deadlift is mighty, that you might want to work on your squat, you might not realize like, well, I thought I was good at squats, right? You need, it helps to have an objective view of where you're currently at. Yeah. I
0: think like it, it brings the question of like, have you seen that thing where if you can look at a country and it over, and you see a face that's overlaid of thousands of people from that area. So you get the average face of an area.
1: I have not seen that's that, but it's pretty interesting sounding.
0: It, it is. And what's also kind of curious is that the average face is always quite attractive, no matter where you look in the world. Like I'm wondering, is there something like, is, is that how these numbers came up? Like it's not that everyone, cause I feel like everyone's got some part of their body that's a little out of tune, right? Like, Oh, I'm working on my hammies as me. And then, I don't know what what your current trials and tribulations are, but it's like if you overlay enough athletes, the picture of the uber athlete comes through as a person with these general ratios and can achieve these sorts of feats of strength.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a fun way of looking at it. I think that's probably pretty similar. Um, You definitely want to be well strong enough is one of them because strength helps with so many other things. Like if you, I mean, there's also levels to this, like, which I think is important. I don't think people should be kicking themselves if they don't have a bodyweight strict press. Cause obviously that's pretty hard. Um, that's pretty savage. I, when you threw that
0: out there, I was kind of like, well, <laughs> all right.
1: right. And nor should a person kick themselves if they don't have 20 strict pull-ups. It just means like, okay, it's a deficit for you. And it doesn't mean that you have to get there. It depends on your goals. If you're somebody who, works nine to five has three kids and you started training after your 30th birthday, like doing some pull-ups might be a better goal or is a current goal rather than being like, I want to do 20 in a row. Like it obviously is very relative, but we're talking about if you can already do 20, maybe spend less time doing pull-ups because there's something else I'm assuming that is making things more difficult.
0: It's yeah, not, you, if you can do 20 pull-ups, why wouldn't you? you just keep going to the gym and and hammering those out so you can feel like a god in the gym, right?
1: I don't know, man. What's the rate of return when you already have 20 or 25 pull-ups and you're not? Yeah,
0: but at, <laughs> at least you get your ego built up as you go into workout. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I mean,
0: very rejuvenating. You definitely
1: have those types of people, like the I love power cleans, I love like whatever movement I've mastered, I am the double under King. I can do hundreds of double unders and you're like, okay, cool. What else can you do? And they're like, but double unders. <laughs>
0: Let's get back to the <laughs> double unders please.
1: Right. Like, I think everyone sees no, okay, through that pretty quickly.
0: It's it's definitely the category of lifetime intermediate. I think you threw that term out a while ago. Yeah. And unfortunately it's like, what's the recipe to getting like to new levels of athletic performance it's always kind of like focusing on your your weaknesses the rates of return as you mentioned are highest there
1: right well and it's also if you like the idea that somebody who deadlifts whatever more than 2x body weight can't do other stuff is probably not true it's probably just like internet legend because i've seen plenty of people who you would assume couldn't do other things do other things um someone you're a big fan of mr grizzly yeah, <laughs> he can do strict pull ups. Like he's over 400 pounds and he has yeah, plenty of surface area. That. What's that?
0: I'd pay to see that. He is.
1: He can do them. Go on the YouTubes.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm a little blown away. I'll have to do that. I, I have seen videos where he's incredibly flexible. Like he's doing like a, a stretch and he, he has like a 90 degree angle bending backwards. I was impressed by that.
1: Yeah, he. Um, there's a thing with people who like have achieved a high level of other stuff. Yeah, he, he can do a bunch of cool stuff, and that always freaks people out. And he's still kind of spherical. He's no, he's not small. Um, he kind of looks like the blueberry from Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So such power contained from that blueberry though.
1: Lots of yelling, but yeah, having an idea of where to aim certainly will help. It also tells you where your biggest deficits are. So that's a really good way of being well-rounded and not getting hurt, Um, which leads us into the conversation of like when to test and how often to test and what does a test look like?
0: I guess also how do you pick where to, like what you're testing for target wise? I know we don't love outcomes based goals, For some of the psychology around them but if you're looking at if you have access to symmetric strength and it's something you care about you have like a resource to reference for what the gold standard is how do you do it with crossfit because it seems a bit more word of mouth um like what a good number of pulps might be
1: right crossfit has um beyond the whiteboard is a service you can pay for i think it's still single digits per month so it's relatively inexpensive um then you also have the open as like the two main ways so the open would be twenty dollars you do it once a year and of course it's a bit ambiguous because the workouts are brand it's new so but you have whatever it's like the sats basically you have five hundred thousand people taking it you'll have an idea of where you're at and each of the components will tell you where you're at relative to those people um but competitions are a little bit different than testing too like i like to say You'd complete a test under a circumstance that you can control. A competition, you don't necessarily control the variables. Mm-hmm. So, like I could say, Evan, I want you to do as many strict pull-ups as possible. We've been working on them for eight weeks. Here's your warm-up for your strict pull-ups. Here's your strict pull-up. Versus a competition might be like, haha, guess what? You're gonna wake up at 7 a.m. because the first event's at 7:30. I don't care that you normally wake <laughs> up at 9 a.m. Right, like. That yeah. is a variable that you can't control or you wouldn't control, and there's other stuff like who's what music is playing, where you are, all that kind of stuff. Um, so they're different, and to assume that a competition is the best way to test is wrong. So like I'm not going to sit here and be like the open's the best way to find out how good you are at yeah. my chest bar pull ups because they're probably going to make you do thrusters first. <laughs>
0: That's the the thing with uh, powerlifting, notoriously people have higher gym totals, they call it, than I guess competition or judge totals.
1: Yeah. It depends on the person. Some people who know what they're doing, I would argue, have better competition totals because they don't waste their RP 10 days at the gym.
0: Yeah, it's I guess like a really mature training age athlete who has to focus on actually developing a peak in their training, right. probably if they time that it's always gonna be for a competition. So I imagine they have higher competition totals, but
1: Right. But then yeah, I get what you're saying. There are people and I think that it comes down to like a lot of the stuff we already said. I think if you can play your music, if you can sleep in and like you can use your barbell or whatever, all of those things matter. Versus you have a judge with a slow pressing command or in my case, yeah. you have Heather, who's not telling you when your heels go above the line for handstand push-ups, and you're just waiting upside down forever.
0: I actually remember when I did the mock meet at your gym, Heather was the one who was telling me to, to lift the bench press off my chest, and it felt like it started too. I was like, oh my God, it's so heavy.
1: She's brutal. She's absolutely brutal. Yeah. She wants all of us to get hurt doing upper body pressing exercises. It must be. (laughs) But yeah, so it's tough. Like having to control versus in a competition, you don't have the control. So when you're formulating a good test, you do, you want to control as many variables as possible. So the next time you test it, you know if you got better, right? If I was like, okay, Evan, you're going to test your deadlift. And one time you're going to drive back to your parents' place and do the deadlift at the gym near there or you're gonna wake up whenever you want where you're currently at and use a deadlift bar. Like those are two totally different experiences.
0: Yeah.
1: If you don't control those variables, it's really hard to know what the difference is. Um, and then competitions are fun, but they are just that, they're competitions. So you have to overcome other obstacles. And I think they all have value. You want to unpack
0: that a little bit more? Like what are the obstacles and the value of doing a competition?
1: Yeah. I think everyone should have some sort of test. I don't think everyone should compete. So people who compete are people who like, you know, that you wanted to compete. You have the idea of like, okay, I'm going to go through temporary discomfort. I'm going to follow all the rules and I'm going to put aside my regular life for a day. If it's a meet, um, a month, if it's the open, whatever, a weekend, if you do a weekend thing, like you set aside time where it's the number one priority. A lot of people, that's not appropriate. However, everyone can test and how I recommend that people test often, uh, with CrossFit is like you pick one workout every seven to 14 days. And you're like, this is probably a benchmark or this is like a four time piece. And I say, yeah, go for it. Go for it a couple times a month. If you're doing powerlifting or strength type stuff, you'll have days where it's like build to a challenging. Yeah. Right. Or you'll have a mock meet, which is technically a test because you can control the variables and then you may have a real meet where you actually drive somewhere and are just the victim of (laughs) really loud screamo music and smelling salts. But
0: yeah, I think uh The other perspective I have on the topic of why it's interesting to do something that's a more constructive competition, not that I have um, yet, thanks to COVID, uh, is it seems like it takes some of the variance out. I know you only get one shot at your performance of the day, but in the gym, it feels like things can vary quite a bit. Whereas uh, if you do a competition, it it feels like it, it takes some of the noise out of the measure. That makes any sense to you and it's like this is kind of truly what you're capable on in adverse conditions right so it's not you ever the stars are aligned you're using your favorite barbell the right chalk this right song it's kind of like this is really where you're at not like the peak of the wave can go a little bit higher this is it it's like uh feels a bit more like a solid measure if that makes any sense
1: yeah i think that's also a perspective of like an athlete. An athlete wants to be tested. Athlete wants to be challenged. It doesn't. You don't necessarily want to know what you can do when you've had your perfect day, right? You want to know what you can do relative to other people because that's what matters. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction that a lot of CrossFitters don't make is like people sign up for the Open and just great. Like it's cool and it's fun. And a lot of people do stuff that they've never done before and they like have a ton of fun. But you also hear about, or maybe I hear about it more because I'm looking for it because I don't want people to have bad experiences. Like you hear about the person who like genuinely had a bad time. Like like, I didn't like the open. It was very stressful. I never want to do that again. Like everyone was yelling. (laughs) And that's not like, if it's a competition, you should know it's a competition and that there are rules and that there are people who are going to take it super serious. And competing is not for everybody. Like not everybody is a self-identified athlete, nor should you feel like you need to be.
0: That's fair. I guess it's really only um, a perspective you'd care to have on like getting a, a real measure of where you're at if it's something you're focusing on growing more than like you're participating in fitness for health reasons. Like, Yeah, I, I guess it really is the distinction of like, are you a self-described athlete?
1: Yeah, and if you want to beat other people or if you want to measure yourself against others versus just your previous self, which is kind of deep because in the end you can't change anything but at the same time you compete to know where you're at hmm. and to like yes i want to know that i'm better than my old self but the only way to know that is by going against others right yeah,
0: let's, let's let's talk about this competing with other people thing then too because like i think gold standards especially and start and symmetric strength so much of what was motivating me was to move up in categories because i knew that was putting me and a further harder to reach percentile of where people who go to the gym attain. Yeah. And it wasn't as much I'm competing with myself. And I know that's not the Zen monk attitude of like focusing on your own journey. Yeah. Is it bad to to try and build your identity or motivation for exercising in getting to like from advanced to elite to world class, whatever the categories are?
1: No, I think that those can be in the background, but there's kind of two situations here that I think outline my current thought process on it. Like say you're in a competition for me, it would be like an open situation um, or I'm like redoing a workout in the open and I know where my old score was or I know where most of the scores are like, or let's be more realistic, I've done in-person competitions. If I'm in an in-person competition and I'm in the last heat of, the division that I normally compete in so I know that I'm with the other people who are the best that day right and you're looking around and you know where you're at in the workout relative to other people as a competitor you know you only have to beat the people in your heat because you know the scores right from the other stuff so I don't actually have to give my best effort if I'm already in the lead for example right so that's that's the tricky part of like, okay, I'm not actually giving my best. I'm just doing enough to win this event because there's going to be another one. Same thing applies in powerlifting. You hear about people who don't take their third attempt because they won the lift that they're doing by 40 or 50 pounds and yeah. they're like, okay, I'm feeling pretty comfortable. I don't think it's worth going for 10 more pounds in this specific meet because I have another lift or whatever. Right. So you aren't technically pushing for your best because you know you're going to win.
0: I've seen that come up in a couple other places. And as a spectator, it's always nicer to see. It feels like you have more heart if you don't play it as strategically. Like just for some examples concretely, in snowboarding, I, there was a video on Sean White. He apparently won the half pipe trial on his first run. Yeah. Uh, I guess out of two some Olympic event he got gold and one year he did this twice one year he just went down the half pipe without giving anything uh like making a real concerted effort Mm -hmm. it was was like the victory lap and then the second time he did that he demonstrated a trick that he had been holding in his pocket as some like crazy twisty flippy nonsense yeah
1: um, a cabinet twist 1260 backside or whatever
0: you, <laughs> you saw the video, huh?
1: No, I just made that up. It sounded good, though.
0: It was very convincing. And uh, it's like, I think people, as like, again, this is just the spectator. This is getting a little bit on a tangent here. But it's like, it, it feels so much more like um, you're there for the love of the sport and like to pursue your best rather than like just getting a, a medal. It feels a little too like business and transactional like. The other example, like in Strongman, um, some of the events like the competitors, this one's more... Interesting. Cause like, I know in Sean White's case, he might've risked injury half like trick snowboarding is not exactly safe, I guess. Maybe it's safe to them, but in strongman, like they are exerting such effort lifting such heavy loads and they have future events. Like, uh, I think the sport competitors typically go later in the rounds. And in one example, there was an athlete, Mateusz Mateus who lifted older, was really heavy. It was, like, five times compared to, like, the next best guy only did it twice. Yeah, And he, of course, could have stopped after two or whatever to, like, tie or, like, micromanage the points, but he made a much bigger impression on everyone for giving it his all and, like, up yeah. to the buzzer.
1: But did they pay per event?
0: No, of course, like, he, it didn't... It was not strategic. He was not going to place any higher because, like, he couldn't earn any more points, but I guess the whole reason I'm getting on, on this little soapbox to talk about like athletes trying to optimize for performance across events versus like, and, and like winning at all costs versus proving to yourself that you've improved.
1: Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's the same though. It comes with experience. Like if you're doing your first competition, you're just going to go ham. Like you're going to try your best as much as you can. You're probably going to make mistakes and you'll have to learn from them. If you're doing anything with any sort of endurance, you'll learn, like, you have to manage when your heat times are, you have to know, like, your fuel, you have to know all sorts of stuff. Like, there are so many things to take into account that you can learn from someone who's done it or learn how you're going to react. Like, there are also instances where a person is just acting out of pride. Like, you're talking about a person who doubled or whatever, or 200, whatever, way more, did more than twice as much as everybody else. Like, that's awesome. And you remembered that because that was something that he did that was really cool. Maybe he knew, like, I know when they talk about guys competing at the Arnold or at Rogue or whatever, like they know which events they're going to do well in. Cause it's such a small group of people as is. Yeah. Like someone's like, oh, I have a really good shot at winning this year. And you're like, Oh cool. Like they're really experienced. They know how that's going to go. Um, yeah. But of course, I mean, When you do a competition, you're also operating at like a maximal intensity. You probably aren't doing in the gym anyway. There's so many factors that go into that. You've probably trained for it, tapered for it in some way. And then you have the environment that you're in pushing you as well. And I I think it's an appropriate stressor for everybody. However, I think everybody should do some form of testing because it gives you a reason to continue going on like as dramatic as that sounds. If you aren't just having a ton of fun every time you go to the gym and you're doing stuff that's actually like weakness work or it's really hard and uncomfortable, you have to have some sort of way of knowing you're getting better.
0: It's very motivating for sure. And I think it's kind of fun, especially if your goals, if you can achieve them, it's pretty easy to just move the line a little further back and then keep striving. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think a testing situation can do that, especially if it's appropriate. When someone's brand new, you can test like every four to six weeks when someone is more experienced, you get into the realm of like maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. So that's a really long time to go. But also that person is grinding when they go to competitions and they finish and they need time off. Yeah. Like, if you've been training for whatever, like some of these people, 15, 20 years, you don't just do your big event. And then like two days later, go back to the gym.
0: I think it's pretty common. I've I've heard athletes seem almost fried or burnt out after a competition. They're, they're like, I need to take like months off and just do something new. Cause the love of the sports, like a little diminished at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a big unfortunate thing. Um, I remember people were shocked to hear about that with Sean White, as you mentioned, and Michael Phelps, like, Two of the more decorated, if not most decorated Olympians that I can think of being like, yeah, I was pretty suicidal, pretty self-harm after the Olympic cycle was over. Yeah. And they're like, I
0: didn't, I didn't realize it had gone that bad for them, but I, I, those are good examples of like, it takes a toll.
1: Yeah, it takes its toll. And I often say the people who are best at the thing go through periods of time where they hate the thing the most. Yeah, <laughs> Like more than anybody else. Like, I don't want to be here. This is so stupid, whatever. And then they go and do their thing and they crush. And then they take whatever, their week or their month, and then they come back and have fun.
0: Isn't there a company that has a, a slogan, stay hungry? Is that a sports company?
1: There's a lot of stay hungry, know? happy, but hungry, hungry, but happy. Mm. Mm. It's all about being a lion, you know?
0: Mm. All right. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious, actually, some, there's some other fun stuff to talk about with gold standards. If we can take a break from the competition. Yeah, let them uh, rip. You at one point were confessing to me, you thought it was really impressive. This one person you had heard of or know was deadlifting 500 pounds plus, and then going for like a sub six, was it sub six or sub five miles? Sub five. Sub five, even juicier. Is this like a five, five, five sort of thing? <laughs> like was there another five in there?
1: Uh, yeah. It's like 50 unbroken kipping pull-ups.
0: I mean, uh, okay, so it is a. Is the fifty unbroken pull-ups really hard? Actually, I don't.
1: Try. Um, I don't know that it's as hard as the other ones. relative I don't. Know, it depends on the person, of course. But I mean, they're all pretty, pretty darn cool. And the original one is five hundred pound squat, and uh, okay. you know, five mile in one day in twenty four hours.
0: I think that it's. It is. A, I admit it's a really cool thing. I think you pointed out it's something that most people can aspire to. Um I guess in the strength category it might be a little more realistic for males to try and t-
1: yeah, it's, it's an, like t- there's a female equivalent of like I forget what they said, like right. 365, 375, and like 530. Cool, cool, cool.
0: But it, it's a nice point of like people stereotype powerlifters as sluggish or tight. Um don't move too well. But if you could lift that ballpark of weight and prove you're quite athletic in another space, it shows that those two training modalities do go hand in hand quite well with the right sort of training. Yeah. And that, that person is a good example of really well rounded health too. It's not like you're going too far in one modality at the cost of your general health. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> I don't think that's a healthy. Well, I mean, you you said yourself this is one of the most impressive things most people could aspire to. Yeah. Ones, right. Are you changing yeah. your stance on that?
1: Well, I think it's it's a fun, lofty goal that if you really trained those two things, I don't think that people of like people that are healthy and have trained for a solid decade or so couldn't tra- aim to do. I don't think it's completely impossible like that, but I do think that. Um, even if you get close to it, of course, you're in a really good spot. Like, the the type of training and the type of lifestyle you have to live to be able to pull those things off is very balanced. When I say, when you say healthy, though, I say probably because there are some people who compete at a very high level and it's just not healthy. And I think, think of the person who does work a full-time job, but also trains at 5 a.m. and at 5 p.m. And in order to do so, consumes 500 milligrams of caffeine and, like, hasn't been hugged in a long time. (laughs) Okay, fair. Like, that's not healthy, but they're probably really good at exercising. However, relative to, yes, what a lot of people would say is healthy, that person more than likely gets all their sleep and manages their outside stressors, so pros and cons
0: all right well so what what would you say like for people who come to the gym they have a full-time occupation and they don't spend three hours in the gym a day yeah what's rob's set of gold standards for either strength or crossfit
1: that's a fun question that's a really good one um well i think let's do the powerlifting numbers first i would say if you are not how do we categorize this? I tend to do I mean, it by training. also goal. follow
0: this up with like training age too. Like if a gold standard because like you don't, I don't think it's good to have a goal that would take you five years like we talked about.
1: Yeah, I think, well, so there has to be a bunch of rules. I would say we can break it down by training volume and assume that everyone's trained at least two years because I feel like that's the best way to distinguish where people are at. So say everyone's trained two years in this situation consistently and they train at least three and a half hours a week, but no more than six or seven, right? So that's someone who's consistent, but they aren't maybe in the category of an amateur or they don't actually compete. They are like fully recreational. Those people, if you're back squatting your body weight, deadlifting 1.25 and bench pressing three quarters, you're in a good spot.
0: A good spot to go on to even greater heights or you think that's like a pat yourself on the back you're now in a, a way above average healthy capable individual
1: yeah i would say way above average relative to people who do not work out and the people in your category like i wouldn't say you're way above average but you're in a fine spot i would say that you've you had to earn those numbers most likely you didn't just show up and were like yeah i've never really done anything and like hit all those things yeah i would say those are like a decent welcome you are now like everyone sees you and they're like yep that person works out and they know what they're doing
0: so what's uh what's rob's gold standards that he's he's striving for
1: sure i mean i'm in a probably the next one which is whatever six to ten six to twelve probably six to twelve hours of training a week um where that
0: you're as an amateur competitor in your world, Yeah,
1: I would say intermediate or amateur category of like, yes, I can do those things and like the, you're way under, well, other, we, have, we should probably backtrack. We should probably do other really easy things. We're uh, not easy, that's misleading. Other things you might do in the first category, right? People in the first category who want gold standards should be able to do push-ups. should be able to do at least a pull-up um, should be able to run under a 10 minute mile. What else?
0: And they double under. Yeah,
1: maybe like you can, you have all uh, sorts of like physical skills, right? Like if someone asked you to go do something that required some physicality, you'd be like generally prepared you Uh, could go
0: all the groceries one trip back to the house.
1: Yeah. You 12 grocery bags. You can go kayaking. Someone wants you to go ride a bike. You can ride a bike like 10 or 20 miles. No major problems. Open every pickle jar. Yeah, you can open most of the jars, especially if you get the bottom a couple smackers, you're in a good spot. Uh, When you get into like the amateur semi-pro category, like you might train again 12 hours, I would say even up to like 14 hours a week, that person should be doing far more. Like squatting 1.5 to 2x body weight, deadlifting 2x body weight, horizontal pressing 1.5 probably yeah well, at least 1.25 and then now you're talking like sub six miles sub six 30 mile uh you're talking 10 to 20 pull-ups lots and lots of push-ups advanced general physical skills like crossfit muscle ups um all sorts of like fun crossfit skills or you have tremendous levels of balance and all things like that. Like people generally recognize you as athletic, not just like able to do stuff.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then you're talking after that, you were talking like professional athletes or former division one collegiate athlete type things, depending on their training age and status when they resigned. Um, Like those people are, potentially exceeding strength numbers, certainly exceeding conditioning or like specific skills. That's Ellie. Ellie says hi.
0: Contributing to the conversation. Thank you, Ellie.
1: Yeah. So, but you have to remember that it's, it's unfair to compete against people who aren't in your general category. Like I'm not going to go and think, yeah, you know, this year, I think I'm going to take down the people who train 20 hours a week. You know, I really just optimized my 12 hours and they stand no chance. Like it's not, you know, I put in half the work and they're going down.
0: It's like gold standards are largely about finding the right category of people to compare yourself against. If if that is motivating to you, how do you do it when like, uh, do you bother going as specific as in the powerlifting world? A lot of people will talk about like the length of your legs, the length of your arms in terms of like the range of motion that, creates for bench press or how close to the how much is your deadlift range of motion or are your squat levers good is that a little too focused
1: yeah i'm gonna go ahead and use what you like to call coach brain and just be like those aren't categories no one measures those things that's you being an egomaniac fair like there is no long femur division (laughs) No, there, if you
0: have, like, long arms and you find bench pressing.
1: Uh, just...
0: right there. there is no
1: long arm bench press division. There is there is 198s, there's 242s, there's 270s. That's, that's life. Fair enough. That's like when people say they want to do the open, but they can't do a movement. I'm like, it's a competition. Like, you just try or you don't do it.
0: True. Uh, although I feel like that might be a little bit mean-spirited if the person's like missing an arm and you say do kipping pull-ups. Right? I
1: mean, yeah, there's an adaptive division now. Get with the times.
0: I didn't know that. <laughs> so, so can't if I have long arms, but I think I have sh- shorter arms, longer legs. Can I get in the adaptive? No,
1: league for- no, 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 you okay. can't. You can't do that. You could, however, and this is controversial, you could say that you wanted to compete in the female bracket.
0: No, no, no! I I know there was that one athlete who claimed to take the the women's world deadlift record. Oh my
1: god! Him. What's his name? He has some crazy Twitter name too. I don't remember.
0: Firestarter, probably.
1: <laughs> yeah, seriously. But like yeah,
0: flame bait. The
1: on that topic though, I do love how the response from CrossFit specifically was like, "Go ahead, we don't think anybody who's going to do that," and like. Be that much of an ass not like someone who actually wants to transition but we're talking about a person who's just like ha ha like i'm gonna use the lighter weights like yeah. we don't we're not afraid of that person because that person doesn't realize how terrible they are at the thing because they're such an immoral person they actually can't work that hard
0: true i think in the case of this one it was a fairly obnoxious move on his part i don't know if he was trying to make a grander statement oh yeah he's no. still deadlifting like 700 plus which i think right. is is genuine world class territory for women
1: for sure it's i remember that person but i mean they also did it in a commercial gym on their iphone so i don't i'm going to go ahead and say it's not a world record
0: (laughs) no one thinks it's a world record he's just being a turd
1: yeah for sure um but yeah that's i mean competitions have to have rules and they have to have judges and they have to have standards so that's part of this whole thing i also am excited about competitions because they're fun And I think that everyone should have something that they look forward to because it gives you just another push for training. It also is a good humble pie check. You might think you're really good at something only to find out that you're okay at it and that maybe you should keep working on it, which after the initial gut check can be really cool because you have an opportunity.
0: Yeah. That's a really powerful point I think too, where it's like, it's not humiliating to see how far ahead other people are. It's, it's almost motivating to be like, oh, shit, there's so much more you can attain. Yeah. I think it's 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 kind of like the same thing with that guy who broke the four-minute mile. It was like he was the first person, and, and after, in his footsteps, everyone else is suddenly breaking four-minute mile. I think it might be a little more complicated, but at least there is some validity in saying there was, like, a perceived mental barrier and he was the one who broke it. So now everyone knows it's possible. So people managed it more like, yeah. What else you want to say about that topic?
1: Yeah, I think a really good segue there is your environment. And I know you might be able to speak to this granted You don't have a ton of experience yet, but like whether or not it happens on purpose, you are going to have to change your environment if you do want to move into another category. So when I went from like the general category of I trained like four to six hours a week, to wanting to be like, I want to be recognizable for some of my skills over time. Yeah. Like I have a long-term goal of continuing to improve and like potentially qualifying for in-person level program events. You can't stay doing the things you did when you first started. Right. So I couldn't continue making up my own workouts. I couldn't continue taking class where you work out for 45 minutes and being like, this is my entire day. Um, you have to learn to supplement and work directly on your weaknesses. You also are probably better suited to pick an environment where that's more likely where you find other people with similar goals. So at neurotic, that means you're gonna either get programming or you're gonna supplement your weaknesses or you're gonna come to open gym and there are a handful of people who are doing those types of things. And now you're you're at a gym specifically focused on strength.
0: Exactly. As you said, like it's, I'm only, this is day two that I've been there, but seeing the boards of like, um, what people are lifting at this place, the fact that there are people in the vicinity of me, obviously I know people can deadlift extreme amounts, but just being near someone who could deadlift like 1.5, what I can, like, I don't know. I think one of the guys is like 700 plus on the board. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's definitely different. I don't know what, what's going to change yet. I know I have to kind of like rethink my programming a little
1: bit, but for sure. I mean, the program you did on a multi-story building with seventy-pound dumbbells is going to be different than the programming aspiring <laughs> yeah, for a seven-hundred-pound deadlift. Um, yeah, I'm going to argue that seven-hundred-pound deadlifter didn't spend a ton of time in lockdown doing those things.
0: No, I, I have to like manage it's not a resentment, but it's like a bitter envy that I have to deal with when I see these guys who are all doing great and they're having fun and it's like, sure, they've had to move outside while COVID's like been causing restrictions, but none of them have fully lost access to a gym. And uh, I'm just I'm it's it's rough, man. I'm I'm feeling a lot of the lost time in my head right now.
1: Yeah, but think what has changed and you can reveal as much as you're comfortable revealing, but the best crossfitter ever lived in his parents' basement for years.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Like, you now are in a situation where you've moved physically, you've changed your occupation. What What's going to stop you now from training way more and achieving things like that versus in the past, you're like, oh, I'm so tired from work. You no longer have to worry about that.
0: No, not for the time being anyway, but... I there's definitely like a lot of optimism around sort of settling into a very laid back environment that's conducive. Cause like we talk about the balances of stressors for how it's going to affect your training. Right. And having taken some large cuts at some pretty big stressors in my life, I'm uh, looking forward to reaping the benefit of a rebalanced ability to train.
1: Yeah. I mean, in another similar story, someone or Heather told me a story about someone asked her how, she finds time to train or like how she finds time to like make time for herself. And she was retelling the story and laughed and told me like, I never did. That's why I work at a gym now. (laughs) Now I have no commute. I have no reason to say like, I never went like she was right. And one of the ways you can set yourself up to build towards a more challenging thing is just remove all obstacles, whatever that means for you.
0: No, it's it's a little, like, I can't fully endorse that, because, like, this is well, the thing with the self-help books you might read. It's like, how it's did you, positive, though. no, right. but it's like, how did you figure out how to fix your life? And the person's like, oh, I just jumped ship, and now my life is all about telling people that they should also just follow their own path, live their dream. Well,
1: there's yeah. survivorship bias, for sure, but at the same time, like, if you want to remove all obstacles to your training, that means you might wake up and do your workout at five 30 in the morning. You might do your workout after you have dinner with your family. Like I know people in both Uh, situations.
0: that's, That's not all obstacles. That's like trying to work with something. Right.
1: Yeah. But they removed, they removed any perceived obstacle. Right. They're like, how do I get to the gym? It's like, if I go to the gym before everyone else is awake, or if I go to the gym after everyone's done doing productive things, that's when i go yeah for but, I mean, me
0: if this person is waking up at 5:30 if they have a family if they have a job that 5:30 workout might be 30 minutes I and mean, like that's the max their stress bucket can take right? right
1: for sure but i'm saying they remove the obstacle of i whatever i didn't go after work because i was tired like okay go before work yeah right like you have everyone has their thing and for me it was i don't want to work in a situation that makes me unhappy so I do, or work in a situation that makes me do, that I am really happy and now whenever I can, whenever I have free time at my gym, I just start working out.
0: An enviable position yeah. if your work is to make yourself as hale and hearty as possible. <laughs>
1: Not as enviable, enviable as you might think. I've, I've thought about making a social post for a long time that is like what people think my schedule is versus what my schedule is. Oh no no I I
0: know firsthand that it's the grass may seem greener but there's patchy spots on that lawn.
1: Oh I mean not unhappy but the idea that like I wake up and then work out for 4 hours and then teach like one guy how to do one thing and then like work out for a few more hours and like eat a mound of grass fed rice bacon like you know it's not real.
0: <laughs> grass fed rice was that?
1: And I just made up another thing. <laughs>
0: Okay, cool. Well, this is a, a fairly tangential episode, Schwiggy. Is there anything you want to sort of address on a category of testing, gold standards, and what use they serve?
1: Yeah, I think everybody should have something that they do at least once a year. Whether or not that's set up for you or not, I think it's valuable to have a, a an idea over where you want to be. Ideally, if you're newer, it's way more frequently. If you're more experienced, it could be literally that like one time a year thing. Um, we often talk about outside of six or eight months, it's very hard to imagine yourself doing something like that. So maybe having a period of time that you know you're going to test something, especially if you're actively working on it, you want to know if you're getting better. I believe everyone should test in some capacity. If you want to compete, that's totally different. You have to learn to make lifestyle changes to compete, especially if you want to compete at a higher level.
0: Something I realized we didn't talk about is, uh, gold standards can include things like aesthetics, um, bodybuilding goals more, or just like, if you're trying to lose weight, that's even a gold standard. Yeah. Often people don't think of it's like, but why are you trying to lose weight? It's because you have in your mind a beauty gold standard you're trying to conform to. Um, Right. I'm also curious, like, shouldn't there be other categories like stress gold standards you know
1: yeah that's good i've some of them are hard to manage of course but there could definitely be i mean we talk about basic lifestyle guidelines and the idea that like a gold standard is eight hours of sleep it is the number of kilos that you weigh in ounces of water every day um it is having daily movement those are all gold standards
0: yeah like a lifestyle gold standard but I, I think if people want like an outcomes gold standard which is uh murky water because as we talked about outcomes based goals
1: they're tricky for they're sure
0: loaded. um but i think like what is an aesthetic outcome or what, what's an aesthetic gold standard that people six pack six pack sure
1: That's a classic
0: all right, maybe that's better served in like a nutrition or something i mean we did just do the beach body one
1: yeah i mean a six pack is an arbitrary gold standard you could depends quite a bit on stuff but yeah there's definitely performance gold standards and i think everybody should have some way of testing themselves
0: okay well i think that'll do it for me cool thanks everyone for tuning in we'll catch you on the next one